warriors, workers and worshippers. Notes on the journeyings of the Ark of God from Sinai to Zion. By Theophilus Ruse. Chapter 7. The Ark in Battle and in Captivity. 1 Samuel chapters 4-6. As before noted the tabernacle, with the Ark, was in Shiloh until the days of Samuel. The first book of Samuel opens with the interesting narrative of his birth, and tells us that his mother, in fulfillment of her vow, presented him to Eli the priest for the service of the Lord's house. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verses 19 to 21. From this last verse it would appear as if the Lord had temporarily withdrawn his presence from Israel. But however that may be their condition was low indeed. The sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, by their impious conduct had brought the services of the Lord's house into contempt. For the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord, chapter 2 verse 17. Eli, although pious and God-fearing himself, failed to maintain order in his family, and brought on a crisis in the history of Israel, resulting in their asking for a king, like the nations around them. Of this change we may have to speak further on, but it was a momentous one. For they not only failed under the direct government of God, though receiving innumerable mercies nevertheless, but they now reject him. Alone of all the nations of the earth in possessing this distinguished honor, they thrust it from them without compunction. One of the nations that they failed to drive out was the Philistines. These were near neighbors, so to speak, dwelling in the extreme southwest of the promised land on the seacoast. Amongst their other sins, Judges, chapter 10 verse 6, tells us that Israel served the gods of these Philistines, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines, chapter 10 verse 7. Of the special battle under consideration we read, Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Ephek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about four thousand men. 1 Samuel chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. Insensible of the true condition poor Israel cries, wherefore has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? When judgment threatened. Instead of humbling themselves and confessing their sins, they endeavored to identify Jehovah with their condition, and with impious daring take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into the battle. The elders say, Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us. That when it comes among us it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 3. But God refused to aid them in this way and allows the Ark to be captured. He delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. Psalm chapter 78 verse 61. Truly it was his seat amongst them, and the symbol of his presence. But as is ever the way when declension has set in amongst the people of God, rites and ordinances and things that were designed to lead to God are resorted to, instead of God himself. They say, it may save us, not God will save us. It is not faith in God that prompts now their action, they remembered perhaps what the ark was for them at Jericho, but true faith cannot be imitated. With a great shout that made the earth ring again, and sent dismay and fear into the hearts of the Philistines, they rejoice over the entrance of the ark into the camp. The Philistines knew something of Israel's history, and in great fear they cry out, God has come into the camp, woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. The battle was fought with the ark upon the field, and thirty thousand more of Israel were slain more than seven times the number that fell in the first engagement. God no longer acknowledges them, nor heeds their cries. The Ark of the Covenant is taken, and the Philistines triumph over the actual capture of that which they had so much dreaded. 
the throne of Jehovah is no longer in the midst of his people, the tabernacle is empty, and there is now left no visible sign of their relationship with God. The pious Eli, heavy with age, awaited the tidings at his seat in the gate of the city, and when the messenger brought not only the news of the defeat, and the death of his two sons, but the loss of the ark, this aged heartbroken priest fell backward from his seat and died. His daughter-in-law, wife of Phineas, also dies pronouncing the funeral oration of the unhappy people in the name of her newly-born son, Ichabod, the glory is departed from Israel. For the ark of God is taken. But the triumph of the Philistines is of short duration. They transport the ark to Ashdod, a town near the sea coast of their territory, and so traverse nearly the whole breadth of their land until they reach the temple of Dagon, the god. What a triumph this appeared for the enemy. The god of Israel seemed powerless, unable to protect the symbol of his presence. But nevertheless they were soon made to feel that it was a solemn matter to have to do with Jehovah, and that he would care for his own glory. Even if he could not work for Israel's relief because of their sins. The Philistines found that it was no light thing to have the ark in their midst. It was deposited in the temple of Dagon, side by side, as it were, with the heathen god, but when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold. Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. Supposing, possibly, this might have been accidental, they set up the idol again in its place for another night. Only to find on the second morning, that the head of Dagon and both the palms of his bands were cut off upon the threshold, only the stump was left to him. Nor was this all. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him of Ashdod, and he destroyed them, and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 6. Eager now to get rid of the ark of God. As they had been exultant to acquire it, they exclaimed, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us. And upon Dagon our God. And by the advice of their rulers they send it to Gath, the most southern of their cities. But there the same dread consequences follow, the people are smitten with a very great destruction, and, eager to get rid of the scourge of disease and death, they send it to Ekron, the most northern city of the Philistine territory. But similar inflictions followed its presence in Ekron. And it came to pass that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us, to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel, and let it go again to its own place, that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city, the hand of God was very heavy there. 1 Samuel chapter 5 verses 10 to 11. God thus vindicated his own glory. The symbol of his presence in the Philistines' country proved an awful calamity. And the ark that was carried in triumph from the battlefield as a trophy of victory left a track of desolation and death in its train wherever taken. Even the land itself was marred by a plague of mice, so at the end of seven months they were only too glad to be rid of the burdensome capture. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Under the advice of their priests and diviners they decide to send it to Beth Shemesh, one of the near towns in the Israelites' country. In the valley of Sorek, on the slope of the mountains of Judea. What took place there we must leave to another chapter, while we seek to gather up a few lessons from this most instructive stage of the journey. As before noticed, the root of Israel's defeat lay in the fact that they resorted to the ark as the means of help and aid. Instead of turning in faith to God whose presence in their midst it was the symbol of. If we ask the question, why did God allow the ark to be taken, the answer is, to teach his people a lesson they would not otherwise learn. Did not God himself say that he dwelt between the cherubims? Had he ever failed them before when called upon? What does the 106th Psalm say? Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and were brought low for their iniquity, nevertheless he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Twenty years after, on that same battlefield.
against the same enemies, God gives them a most decisive victory, and they call the place Ebenezer, to commemorate the gracious intervention of God on their behalf. But of this more in its place. As to the lesson for us, do we not find the same tendency amongst Christians today, to turn to forms and ceremonies? Instead of walking and worshipping in the light God's word has thrown upon the place of blessing which the death and resurrection of Christ has brought us into. Soon after the events we are commenting on, Israel desires to be like the nations around them, and asks for a king. The Lord interprets this as their rejection of himself and the privileged place in which they stood before him in contrast to all the other nations of the earth. The priesthood was the link with God, so to speak, and the high priest with the Urim and Thummim the medium of God's communications. The Christian has even a still more exalted privilege than this, his one great characteristic blessing being that every believer is brought into a position of direct communication with God, without any priest or intermediary whatever. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God, access by faith into the grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. The high priest of our profession is Jesus the Christ on high, and we are exhorted in Hebrews chapter 10 thus, having therefore, brethren, boldness, or liberty, to enter into the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, verses 19 to 22. We learn from Exodus chapter 19 verse 6 what God had in view for Israel. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation. This purpose was frustrated by the disobedience, and, like everything else proposed to man on the condition of obedience, was lost. So one tribe, the Levites, was called to that sacred office of priesthood. But God does not give up his purpose, and the first epistle of Peter tells us, second chap, ninth verse, that this desire of God is fulfilled in those of that nation who received the Lord Jesus as their saviour. Although scattered in the various provinces of Asia, despised and persecuted followers of Jesus of Nazareth, they are described in these words, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a purchased people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. 9. While the sequel is, as usual, found in the book of Revelation. Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 to 6. These privileges and blessings are of course true of, and belong to, all believers, not only those among the Jews, and how jealous we ought to be of them. There is no such thing in the New Testament from beginning to end as an order or class of priests as distinct from the body of worshippers generally. It is of the very essence of Christianity that we all draw nigh to God as worshippers who are made nigh by the precious blood of Christ. Yet how many, alas, allow themselves to be robbed of these privileges by human inventions and arrangements? And what danger there is of allowing past blessings or even the remembrances of the Lord in his death, in the Lord's Supper, to become a mere ordinance or sacrament? Is not this something of the same character as it, instead of, he, in 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 3? May we then take our stand in simple faith on the possessions, by grace made ours, and thereby enjoy our privileges. So shall we increase also in the true spiritual apprehension of what these possessions are. But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and has raised us up together.
and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to 7. Mid-mightiest foes. Most feeble are we, yet trembling before our great leader they flee, the Lord is our banner, the battle is his, the weakest of saints more than conqueror is. And soon shall we enter our own promised land, around his bright throne in glory shall stand, our song then for ever and ever shall be, all glory and blessing, Lord Jesus, to thee.